Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City-based podcast where we practice intellectual self-defense. Thanks to the COVID narrative, I was barred from venues like gyms, theaters, restaurants, museums, etc. here in New York City for six months. They only recently lifted that particular part of the mandate. But far more importantly, I have lost friends, people who I knew for decades just ghosted me, deleted me on social media, and couldn't handle the fact that I wasn't buying into the fear matrix. I wasn't afraid like they were. And they just, no explanation, just no integrity, if you ask me, just walked away and ghosted on me because they couldn't, their uh, immature egos couldn't handle that someone had different thoughts than them. And the same goes for some family members, some kind of close to me, which I'm not going to go into detail in a public venue like this. Um, I also lost out on potential personal training clients. That's one way that I earn my income. And back in September, there were two women here in Queens who were talking to me about me becoming their trainer because I wasn't allowed in gyms. I was going to come to their homes. But then ultimately, because I was unjabbed, they opted to turn down this potential interaction. Now, if they didn't find a trainer, and I know one of them didn't, um, that means they lost out so far now on six months of improving their health. And in my case, I lost out on six months of much needed income. And speaking of income, I have also lost, thanks to this insane, murderous narrative, I have lost some of the donors, the regular donors, to my Helping Homeless Women project. I can think of six people off the top of my head who I considered to be friends, A, and B, were at least occasional, if not steady, donors to my project who have drifted away from me personally, but then have stopped donating to my project with no explanation, no interactions at all. So if it's true that they did this because they didn't agree with my opinions on on anything that I talk about or write about, that means to get even with me, they chose to punish vulnerable women on the streets of New York City. This is what the powers that shouldn't be are doing to us, and not enough people can see it, and certainly not enough people are standing up to it. And as a side note, I've also felt a steady, steady state of disappointment as I witnessed former radical comrades turning into fear-fueled authoritarians. Um, meanwhile, the powers that shouldn't be have conditioned us for two years and counting now, conditioned us to be further isolated and further divided, staying home and connecting more with our devices than with our fellow humans. And I will tell you more about that after this word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here with a few messages before we get back to the show. I'm asking you to become a paid subscriber to Post Woke. To do so, it's very simple. Just go to mickeyz.substack.com. The link is in the show notes. And there, for just $5 a month, less than 17 cents a day, you can support what I'm doing and get a steady flow of podcasts, articles, and other content, including perks that are available 
only to paid subscribers. So I thank you in advance for making that commitment. It really makes a difference. In addition, if you'll scroll through, scroll through the show notes, you'll see that I have a link in there for the project I do to help homeless women in New York City. Your support is most welcome. There's a link in there for a very cool post-woke podcast t-shirt to let people know what your favorite podcast is. And there's also a link in there for my NFT digital art photography. If you're interested in non-fungible tokens as a collectible, please click that link, check it out, and maybe maybe buy yourself a collectible work of art. So on that note, thank you again. And most importantly, please consider becoming a subscriber at mickeyz.substack.com. And now let's get back to the show. More than 100 million Amazon Echoes have already been sold across the globe, and that number is rising. Now, I will assume you know what an, what an Amazon Echo is. If not, please consult your nearest search engine. Researchers believe that many consumers purchase this artificial intelligence or AI device as a, wait for it, companion. In fact, a study in 2019 found that these voice assistants may serve as a means of overcoming loneliness in a household with fewer occupants, that individuals converse with them the way they would do with humans, de developing a rapport with the AI assistants. The robots provide a sense of companionship while also assisting them. And the additional social presence offered by the voice assistant replaces interactions that may have been with a human counterpart in other times in human history. Now, besides communing with Alexa, bot lovers also see their voice assistant as a status symbol in their otherwise mundane lives. The study found that as AI technology has become more widely available, embedded as part of our everyday life and somewhat trendy to use, individuals may be adopting and using the technology to enhance their social status, to make them appear important within their peer groups. Meanwhile, of course, their new friend is eavesdropping on their conversations and sending data to third, to third parties. What a time to be alive. In the age of artificial intelligence, it makes sense that we're now dealing with artificial intimacy too. Besides flirting with Alexa and Siri, we have sex robots, virtual reality pornography, AI enhanced sex toys, etc. Not to mention all those clever algorithms that match you up on dating apps. Meanwhile, more than two thirds of men between the ages of 18 and 24 report having no sex at all in 2020. But in 2019, more than 5 billion hours of pornography were watched on Pornhub alone. That is 500 million years worth of hours dedicated to 12 months of artificial intimacy. What a time to be alive. Now, before the advent of such digital dysfunction, the average human spent 192 minutes per day interacting face-to-face -face with other humans. Setting aside sleep time, that's about one-fifth of each day. Conversely, the average human in 2021 surrendered about 153 minutes per day to social media usage. 
At this rate, it won't be long before that number reaches one-fifth of each day, fully reversing the hardwired trend that we require. And what happens during those 153 minutes on social media? Among many things, the robots put us in touch with far more humans than our brains can handle. You see, we each possess a physiology that evolved to negotiate the Stone Age. Inconveniently, we live in the digital age. Therein lies the rub. We are urban cavemen and cavewomen overmatched in our daily crusade to navigate an artificial reality because we have surrendered contact with our deepest nature. For one thing, again, we didn't evolve to be surrounded by this many people. Thus, we attempt a futile search for a manageable tribe within a smartphone social media culture. Our brains are burdened with trying to make peace and sense with a sudden influx of too many quote-unquote friends. The result is a corrupted version of intimacy, a loss of crucial in real lifetime, and an epidemic of loneliness. Interactions are available at our fingertips, but our souls need more, much more. Now, I didn't say all of this just to share some interesting info with you. I also didn't share it because I always focus on the negative. This is Paul Revere stuff. Amidst the fake news headlines that are effectively putting you into a trance, all of the above, everything I said, is happening 24-7. Spoiler alert, these steps towards transhumanism will impact the future far more than Ukraine. The already embedded trends I just described are shaping the lives and minds of children everywhere. But these are, are not inevitable occurrences. They are not unstoppable. In fact, they constitute nothing more than a house of cards. All it takes to tip the structure is for us to begin opting out. Say no to artificial intimacy. Reclaim your humanity. What a time to be alive. No, I'm not being cynical. I'm simply listening to the sound of opportunity knocking. Kicking down the damn door, you might say. When else in all of human history has there been a time when we were in better position to shape the future? What we do or don't do in the next few years could quite possibly tilt us all toward either a point of no return or a far more sane form of society. In other words, each and every one of us can take part right now in creating the most important social changes ever imagined. This isn't about skin color, gender, or what parcel of geography you happen to be born on. I'm not talking about party affiliations, incremental reform, or what sky god you've chosen to worship. It's all about recognizing a crisis and taking the appropriate measures. We are on the brink of economic, social, and environmental collapse. What a time to be alive. How lucky are we? We are the ones who have been trusted with the most vital mission of all time, survival. So, who's with me? While you ponder that, I'll be right back to lighten things up with my story of the week. It's a Sunday in April 2017, around 11.30 a.m. I'm in Manhattan to train a client and then give out supplies and food and gift cards to homeless women as I usually do. 
After I'm done, I hop on the R train, heading back to Astoria. It's pretty empty at that time of day, so I position myself into a corner seat, off to myself as usual. At Lexington Avenue, a well-dressed, older white man gets on through the door at the other end of the car. Being ever alert, I give him the once-over. He glances around and begins to literally saunter towards the empty side, my side. I spontaneously think to myself, this guy looks like he's playing a mobster in a movie. He reaches me but chooses to not sit down. As the train pulls out of the station, he just stands across from me in the doorway. My New York City paranoia kicks in, so I use my peripheral vision to gauge his distance, about 8 to 10 feet, and his vibe. His energy feels a little edgy, so I glance up. Our eyes meet, and he gives me the old-school nod of tough guy familiarity. I don't know how it is now, but this was once normal in the Big Apple. Sort of a mini truce back in the day. That's when I notice, funny, but this guy looks like Robert De Niro. I look down, but sense him moving towards me as he reaches into his pocket. So I shift myself away to repel a potential attack, but he shows me a text on his smartphone. Take the M or R to Steinway, it says. He asks me in a low and very familiar voice, this train will take me there. That was a question. It takes every ounce of restraint in my body to not say, you talking to me? Instead, I simply reply, yeah, it's just a couple of stops. I'll let you know. He smiles and thanks me before moving back to his standing spot. My mind does some calculations. I'm on the E-list for the Museum of the Moving Image, so I know there's a major Martin Scorsese retrospective going on there. The subway stop for that museum is Steinway Street. So yeah, this was almost definitely De Niro, and I guess the R train was easier than driving to Queens. Speaking of the R train to Queens, I do a quick check to see if any of my fellow passengers have also recognized the raging bull. None of them appear to be giving the deer hunter a second thought. Is he way out of his demographic here? Is that why he opted to stand near me to get directions? Either way, now that we've shared the old school nod and he had a brief exchange, me and Travis Bickle are pals. As the train hurtles through the long underwater tunnel between Manhattan and Queens, Bob and I occasionally make eye contact. Each time he nods and smiles. And I ponder starting a conversation in the meager time we have before he reaches his stop. I could say what everyone says. I just wrote a screenplay. This so, just so happens to be true, but come on, seriously? I could instead tell him about my efforts to help homeless women, but that would require context. Would I have time to bridge the gap, earn his trust, and make some kind of pitch for money or support before Steinway Street? We're out from under the East River at the Queens Plaza stop, and like everyone else, he pulls out his phone to check messages. The doors close and we move on. He looks around and gives me another nod. We're buddies. Now that I've decided I'm not going to try pitching anything, I really just want to ask him a two-word question. Dirty grandpa? Maybe three words, because I might add, really? Anyway, we hit 36th Street, and Rupert Pupkin is, looks over at me. One more stop, I assure him, and he thanks me yet again before asking, is this Long Island City? It feels like a trick question, because a lifetime New Yorker like him surely knows it is Long Island City. He doesn't flinch, so I respond. 
We're on the cusp between Long Island City and Astoria. Most people call it Astoria these days. It's trendier. He lets out a tiny chuckle. Nothing like Max Cady. The R train makes its clamorous entrance into the Steinway Street station. Bobby D gives me a smile, a wave, and one more thanks. I smile and wave back, and off goes Jimmy the Gent to make his way through the mean streets of Astoria. If I could have said one more thing to him, it would be the same thing I'm about to say to you now. Keep your guard up. Uh -huh.